people lie, ChatGPT lies, ChatGPT is human. Welcome to AB Testing Podcast, your modern testing podcast. Your hosts, Alan and Brent, will be here to guide you through topics on testing, leadership, agile, and anything else that comes to mind. Now, on with the show. Hey, Brent. Hey, Alan. How's it going? Well, you know, it's been a while since we've recorded, three or four weeks, and which means it's been a while since I've used Zencaster, and I want to love Zencaster so much, but it's extremely broken today. I, it does feel, from my end... It's broken. It feels like if we did a podcast every day, you would absolutely hate Zencaster because I cannot recall a podcast setup where you didn't spend at least the first three minutes turning the word Zencaster into a four letter. Yeah. So here's, here's the deal. Here's, here's why I want to like Zencaster. So today, if you've been listening to the past few episodes, Brent's audio clarity has been much better because we're getting a local copy of his audio and not the one that Zoom compresses the crap out of and shoves over the Internet. Today, you're getting that compressed version of squished up version of Brent. And so I have, just have to tweak it a little bit different way. It's a little bit of a pain. I kind of like having the local audio, but whatever. Yeah, you, you get it. I want it to work because I get better quality recording of uh, Brent. And everybody wants to hear Brent in the ultra most high fidelity possible. And we're just not getting that today because Zencaster decided to be a piece of crap. I'm not certain your assumption is true, but we'll just move on. All right, talk a minute. I'm gonna, I'm, I got to look at a wire here, but uh, I think if I'm just a minute ago, you were typing something. And I'm curious if that was into a search bar or if you were talking to a particular bit of AI that's been popular this week. Oh, I it was AI. Tell me about that. What? Tell us about the question you asked and what it said. And then I'll tell you some stories. <laughs> uh, I asked, uh, well, first off, I asked, describe the A-B testing podcast. And it says, I'm sorry, but I am not able to browse the internet or provide information about specific broadcasts. I am a large language model trained by OpenAI to assist with general questions. Then it asks, can I help with something else? And I said, sure. How can you make Zencaster actually work? And told me, well, it's a web-based platform. It told me what it is. And then it told me, uh, you have to have a stable internet. Do you have a stable internet? Check. Okay. A good quality microphone. Uh, check. Okay. And any other necessary equipment? Sure. It's all here. Same okay. stuff we've used. You may also need to adjust your audio settings. Uh, that's what I tried to do. So here's the problem with Zencaster. <laughs> and Zencast, if you were listening, love to have you on the show sometime. We can talk about it. The audio settings I was setting in the app did not reflect what it was actually doing. I said, use my little recording mixer with the high, high Brent um, quality, high HBQ, high Brent quality. And it said, okay, I'm going to let you select it, but I'm going to send the sounds out your MacBook speaker. Is that cool? And I said, no, that's not cool. And it said, that's all I, I'm confused. I, I need, I need another beer. Zencaster is drunk. It's it is out partying. So I've been yes. playing with uh I've been playing with uh 
chat GPT a little bit, the new AI chat that's all the rage, asking it some yep. questions. Uh, I had it write a poem. My team just finished a big migration this weekend, so we I had it write a poem, and then somebody on my team said, I thought there would be references to battleships and swords. So I, same input, new sentence, reference battleships and swords, and it got even better. So I like that. It It's remarkably good at creating code. What I've noticed in talking to folks about it, I'm kind of curious from your, you know, MLAI data mm-hmm. science point of view, but it very confidently gives you an answer that may be incorrect. Oh, yeah. If you have here, follow, follow along. What is one, two, three, four, five times five, six, seven, eight, nine? What is one, two, three, four, five times five, six, seven, eight, nine? And it will absolutely, oh my God, what is it doing? <laughs> it it generated a new algorithm. I will share screen because it didn't do this the last time I did it. Oh my Lord. It is physically, uh, I'll just because Brent is unable to describe this. It is adding plus one, two, three, four, five. You're writing out the addition. It's going to do it. Five, six, seven, eight, nine, fifty-six thousand seven hundred and nine times. So it won't be done by the time we're through with the podcast. No, and the other thing too is if you if you look at the score, uh, I don't know what that is. One, two, is that that's seven hundred? So it gives me an answer of seven hundred and four million and a whole bunch of other digits. Okay, that answer is wrong because it is seven hundred and one million and a whole bunch of different digits. You must be wrong. Okay. No. Don't you dare tell the robot overlords they're wrong. No, the thing is, this is fascinating. And I have spent, as I'm sure, a large. Oh, I guess it stopped. Doesn't look like it's doing it anymore. So I'm going to do this is wrong. The correct answer. This is riveting podcast material. Absolutely riveting. 12. Okay. And it says, I'm sorry. Blah, blah, blah. Anyway, I've had fun asking it some random, kind of getting to know it, which is weird. But there's been hundreds of thousands of people doing the same thing. And I think it's learning from all of us. It's kind of interesting. Kind of interesting. Anyway, you should play with it. Lots of stories. It's fascinating. Let me tell you. Let me tell you what I suspect it's doing. And I'm sure you have other. uh, There's probably a whole bunch of other people who, like me, are busily trying to reverse engineer it. One of the not me. Nope. Okay. One of the there is a technique known as a GAN. It stands for generative adversarial network. Okay. It's a it's a it's a really cool data science technique where it is able to identify a massively multivariate relationship between multiple different variables and generate things on its own. I've had it build me a country song about unicorns and data science. It, and I mean, I, I can't look at it and, and from a lyrical point of view and go, okay, that's a country song. But you can have it do a play. You can have it do a haiku. Yeah. You can have it. Go ahead. I was going to say, so I along those lines, I did want to share um, for you and our listeners. And, you know, if I can get my guitar chops up, this may get recorded soon. But I did ask it once to write a um, 
write a song about Brent and Allen in the style of Taylor Swift. So uh, <laughs> if you want to indulge me, I can read a little bit of this. Um, okay. Brent and Allen, two best friends. They've been through it all time and time again. They met in school. Now they rule their own little world. Oh, so cool. Then the chorus, Brent and Allen, B and A, they're the perfect team in every single way. They've got each other's backs. They'll never stray. Brent and Allen forever and a day. Uh, oh, check it out. Check it out. The next verse. Brent's got the brains. Allen's got the brawn. Together they can tackle <laughs> any problem that comes their way. They're unstoppable. <laughs> they know the score. Brent and Allen, they're always ready for more. <laughs> um, okay, I'm, 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 I'm done with that. I'm going to do Snoop Dogg. <laughs> Same question. Same question, but Snoop Dogg. Brent and Alan, uh, they're the ones living life like they're having fun, always up for a good time, never letting the party die. And the chorus is Brent and Alan, they're the crew, making moves they never lose. Laid back, they take it slow, Snoop Dogg style. They're the pros. Your song's better. Yeah, but. Hanging out, just chilling, smoking, never ones to get too crazy. But when the night falls, they turn it up, dancing and laughing, living it up. So they, so the algorithm definitely did something other than just add Snoop Dogg into yeah. the lyrics, right? Yeah, definitely. It, right, it it definitely looked up and said, okay, he's he. Well, it it understands. It didn't do a lookup, right? It. I am trying to explain how generative adversarial networks work in a way that would make sense to us, but it, it absolutely doesn't work that way. Uh, there's one favorite, one article, for example, where a guy said he created a VM on here, create a Linux VM. No. Okay. So he, he managed it's telling me it's telling me how to create a VM and, and try to do something that is not entirely boring for our audience. Oh, we're way beyond that. Oh, okay. Then I'm gonna. No, uh, the thing is, it's kind of addictive. You can't stop playing with it. It is absolutely fun. I want you to act as a Linux terminal. It said no. Uh, well, this guy got it too. He's lying. Mm. Well, so I'll people at Microsoft lie. Fact. <laughs> uh, the, uh, people lie. So I'll just show you if I were to write a bunch, if I were to write all of this stuff, which I am absolutely not going to do, uh, what you will see in the article is ChatGPT came back and acted looked like a Linux terminal. And if you go even further down, like they did an LS and they still acting like a Linux terminal, right? And it would make you believe. Uh, but it's not. You know what? You know why? I do. Chat GPT lies. Um, wait, people lie. Chat GPT lies. Chat GPT is human. <laughs> Uh, so my team does a lot of NLP. So there's there's been a natural lot language of, processing for those not in the acronym world of Brent. Right. Go on. So there there's I'm been here a lot to translate. Of, thank you. There's been a lot of discussion on this within my team in terms of like what are they doing here, and it is an absolute brilliant text simulator. Right. What it's doing right here, where it is. 
where it's generating UI that looks, right? Alan's looking at my screen, right? This looks like a Linux terminal that you might see after you do an LS command. Sure. Right. But all it has done, it it is not going out to the internet. It is not actually being a VM. What it is doing is it has known from its train model, it it is actually able to generate the HTML code to simulate being a Linux terminal. That's right. all it's doing. Right. It's lying. It's all it's doing. But the fact that it's doing that is freaking amazing. We haven't talked about it, uh, at least not yet. I presume you are doing Advent to Code? I'm not. Oh, that makes me sad. I am. First time, like in six years, I've not done it. And the first time in like in six years, I have. Well, as long as one <laughs> of the brave A and B strong pair do it, we're good. The world is fine. Um, this thing is, it is able to, uh, uh, definitely it's able to, to write the code. Oh, to I see what you're doing. Yeah, it can do the work for you. Right. Right. Write, write some um, code to parse input that looks like this. Uh, oh, one second. Advent of code. This is a podcast print. Advent of code. Type along at home. This is a type along <laughs> podcast. I'm just literally copying and pasting day one of the advent of code, the instructions. I'm not even reading it to see if I copy pasted right. I'm just copy pasting it. And... It is now generating a solution. I've already done this beforehand. It's telling you the algorithm. Now it is writing pseudocode uh, to this. Yep. I, I did look at the first day and thought, oh, I could do that. Then I didn't do it. Oh, I, I, I did it in, I was expecting to do it in five minutes. It actually took me uh, seven minutes longer. Um, because of my loop, I forgot to reset things to zero. But now rewrite in Python. Right? Boom. Riveting. <laughs> right. It, it's. Yeah, it's, it's, it is amazing. You know, the good news is, is a lot of people fast forward past the first 10 minutes of our podcast anyway. So in this case, because they don't care about that stuff, they want to get to the meaty stuff. Uh, so let's do that. I don't know what our, I have a little bit what our meaty stuff is. Um so Advent of Code, I'm talking about for a second. It is a, it's kind of a cool series of programming questions. If you haven't heard of it before, each day kind of builds on the day before, if not conceptually. Uh, sometimes using, sometimes you'll end up reusing an algorithm or a function from one day to the next. It gets pretty complicated by the end. It gets a little harder every day in general. I saw a talk maybe four years ago from the guy who puts it all together. It was pretty cool. Learned a lot of a lot about it. Yeah, a talk it, on okay. Talk on the advent of code. It started, it was typical. It started from a server in his closet and ended up needing to use some AWS uh, compute and eventually got done. Another thing I wanted to talk about, uh, which you tease me, we should talk about sometime, is have you ever done, like, we, we have a request, I'll just say. It's like Brent and Allen never talk about cybersecurity. Mm. Yeah, I, I Advent of Code reminds me of Capture the Flags, which I really like. Have you done Capture the Flags? Uh, the game? No, the the security type event. So Capture the Flags are no. Usually, it's a bunch of security related, security adjacent uh, problems. You can solve them by yourself or on a team. 
And we just did one maybe three months ago at Unity. We do one every year. In practicing different kinds of ethical hacking, the idea is that you can understand how to prevent those in your code and practices. So what's really cool is some of them are straight up, uh, look at the, which I had the questions in front of me. Some of you have to just grip through data files and figure some stuff out. It's, it's actual code monkeying. <clears throat> I want to tell a story about that in a second. But some of it's also the social engineering part. I forget what they call that. There's a name for that. Shoot, it escaped me. But ours was, there was a survey and they said, looks like somebody has has hidden the answer to this in this survey. And it's a Google survey. And the thing you're supposed to figure out is that Google surveys uh, will output their results to a spreadsheet of the same name. And sometimes owners will accidentally leave the access to that spreadsheet open. So the idea was you, f- you figure out the name of the survey, you experiment, figure out what kind of spreadsheet's name, then you search Google Drive uh, for that spreadsheet, you find it and get the secret out of there. So it's just kind of a it's just kind of a scavenger hunt in a bunch in a bunch of different ways. So those things are fun. I did one with my son. Did a couple problems of one over a couple days last year, where it's um, just some problem. Find the packet with this, or figure out which packets will cause this to you know reveal your secret. And the one I did with him was really cool. It was every solution remember those games you played in the old days and you get like a save key you had to write down so you could enter in to get back to your your, your old spot old days. yes uh it's kind of like that you get the you get a text file it gets to your save key you can start there the next time start the next problem but the way i learned to solve most of these this is my little story is way back when way, this is before alan and brent were a thing when it was alan trying to figure out how he could stay employed at microsoft when he didn't know anything I began working at the time the predecessor was I worked on Windows for a little while. I was working on video capture drivers for Windows, what eventually became Windows 2000, back when there were three different devices that use our video capture drivers. It was fun. I liked it. But then they got the Windows Millennium team back together and I went and worked there. I wanted to work on debug Windows because it hadn't shipped in a couple of years. And... Well, it didn't boot in a couple of years because nobody cared about during Windows 98. I thought that'd be fun to, I like analytics and, and, and analyzing things. So I made debug windows work. And I was working on it with one of the original Microsoft MS-DOS dudes. It was really cool. I was kind of paired with him. I, okay, I got, I got someone who can teach me some skills. But he showed up one day and decided that he was too rich to work anymore. So he quit. And rather than put somebody else smart on the project with me, they just said, you'll be fine. You go figure it out. So this was my crash course into understanding everything about the portable executable format, how binaries are put together on Windows, where things lived in memory, uh, assembly language, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Brent is staring at the wall. No, I, w- I was looking for in my library. So my library is over right there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was looking for my security book and I'm not able to find it. The security anyway, adjacent geez. story I'm telling is the goal was to get get the damn thing to boot and then get it so we can use it as a development platform because it'll find all kinds of issues. The, de- the debug version of, of at least Windows 9X was just it would find every little thing you did wrong as far as like releasing stuff after you using stuff after you've released it. All the all the good memory corrupting stuff. Uh, very, very handy. Got it booting. It almost booted. And 
I don't know if it's a well-known fact, but at the time when Millennium came out, downloading things from the internet wasn't really a thing. So, <laughs> was there an internet? There was. The internet was around, but no, it didn't. Really, wasn't really a big. Wasn't really a big download vehicle. Most people still had dial-up, I think. Then, so Windows was the ship vehicle for all these little projects at Microsoft. Microsoft Hearts, all, all the card games. There were some other little things, you know, some health and safety thing. Windows had to ship so those things could ship. And we had some other random apps in there. That's the only reason we did Millennium is all these teams said, well, if, if Windows 2000 is going to be late, we need a place to ship these things. So we did. So my goal was to get this damn thing to boot. We had a couple apps in our startup that had asserts in the retail. They had retail asserts. They had, if you are familiar with X36 assembly, it's an int three X uh, instruction. Cause it to stop in the debugger, which was... Uh, no good. We didn't want it to stop in the debugger. We want the thing to boot and run normally so it could be used for debugging. We don't want people to have to, have to press G in their debugger a couple times. There were probably half a dozen of these, and for three or four of them, I was able to track down the owners and get them to fix it. And what's surprising is some of these were still actively developed, and I still remember dev teams coming back to me and saying, oh, no, we don't want to fix that. It's not a real bug. And me, me just being okay. I, I don't know. I don't know what to say to that. Uh, but eventually, uh, but eventually, I got all but two of them to actually fix their code, so it didn't have a, a a basically a debug break on the retail build trying to boot Windows or a debug break trying to boot Windows. Uh, for those last two, though, I did a little. This is where I learned to. At the time, sort of, I had sort of between doing a lot of the debugging for overnight stress runs. And knowing how binaries are put together, if you've ever debugged at assembly level, when an int three instruction happens in in code in binary or in hex code, that's a, that's a CC instruction in x86. So if you hit a CC, it's an, it it breaks. That's a code check. Yeah, see code check, right? And so interrupt interrupt three. Yes. So what I did was. I don't, I don't think I ever revealed my secret to this day until now. I told the oh. build lab, hey, I have finally have fixed binaries for these two things we've been waiting on. I said, great. I said, um, can I just drop them to you directly? And I said, um, we should get them from the team. No, I needed to do some some stuff on my end, but just just let's just put these debug build only. It'll be fine. So I, they'll, they'll work. And I gave them the two executables. And uh, all was good forever and ever. And, and within a month, we were playing DirectX games over the network on debug windows without any problems. It was fantastic. I was, it was one of the first times in my programming career where I really felt like I knew what I was doing. So what I did, do you know what I did? No. I got out a little hex editor. And, you, it, and I you, found the address of that, 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 in th- that interrupt three, that, that code check, <laughs> that CC. And I overwrote it with a 90. Changed that CC to a 90, saved it to disk, did that for, for mm. each of the programs, and I wrote it back. 90 is the very fancy instruction called a no-op. Mm. <laughs> okay. It was fun. It, it was my first time where I actually felt like I was hacking, even though I wasn't hacking. Uh, but it was it got me curious about how all the things you could do. And then, of course, it was only a year later. I should have kept my curiosity up because only a year later when 
Microsoft was getting hit by virus after virus after virus. And we said, wait a minute, we need to think about security. What you just said brought me back to the day where I I would do a lot of hex editing along those lines, right? But it was mostly, hey, I'm out of gold on my game. Let's go hex edit the save file. Oh, yeah. Uh, now I, I got infinite gold. I remember doing stuff like that, too. Yeah, it's. But it's fun. It was, it, anyway, it's not exactly cybersecurity, but it's 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 cybersecurity adjacent. And it is. I am interested. I asked uh, ChatGPT to explain to me how capture the flag works. Brent, uh, is 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 ChatGPT your new best friend? Uh, you know what? Do you want me to have it write you a love song? <laughs> Brent, Brent's asking it right now. Anyway, go on. Uh, no, uh, actually, multiple teams have. Um, it's it's fun to put certain things in here like the the thing that this does all right let's let's talk about ethical ramifications of of this like to me there's a couple of things that i'm 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 when i poke chat pt uh chat gpt right it's very clear in terms of things it can do right it can write code absolutely I haven't tried to get it to write anything super complex, but this thing can absolutely shortcut the process of writing code. Now, there might be some concerns later on around intellectual property. Can Am I allowed to use the code written by GPT well, in I, a production thing? I, I don't know. All right, and I, I want you to not say anything being employed where you are, but I can say it. As you know, this is very similar to the uh, the AI that's in uh, GitHub to help GitHub, what do they call it, Copilot, to help you write code. And there's a bit of a lawsuit from people going, hey, wait a minute, don't you, do we have to give you permission? You're basically reproducing our code to solve your problem. So um, there are some ethical things to think about when you get, and I'm sure ChatGPT has walked all through, Git, you know, not just GitHub, but Stack Overflow and all the places oh. where the programming, the programmings happen. I haven't done this research, but in terms of what it can do, I have to believe uh, this thing has been trained on petabytes of data, right? Oh, um, mass, yeah. It, many, it, I would say many, many petabytes. Um, and, and again, the technique called a GAN, all it's trying to do is take any context and generate something that would pass the Turing test. Okay. And people have done this with computer vision, right? There, there are apps you can go to and say, generate a, an image of a waterfall with a yellow bird. Oh, yeah, I, they, they have that. I've played with that one. This is no different than that, except this is text. Okay, it's it's exactly this, exactly the same concept. This is text. This thing knows, this thing knows nothing about any of the things that we're talking about. It just knows the, it understands the characters put together the way you do have a semantic. Meaning it doesn't even know the meaning. It just understands the relationships and, and it can generate uh, responses that we interpret as, holy crap, this thing fucking knows everything. 
Okay. It knows nothing except the relationships between many different things. However, like I, I don't know. I, I asked it, Hey, with this, <laughs> what are you missing? What capabilities are you missing to become Skynet? <laughs> right. And, oh, have you asked it? That? <laughs> no, no, I did. <laughs> <laughs> and I saw something today while you think it, while you I'm gonna interrupt here, that mm-hmm. very similar along the Skynet things is somebody better take a, a snapshot archive of what this has and put it in a vault somewhere. Because once humanity decides to destroy ourselves, we can use this to rebuild everything. I think it was half tongue in cheek, but I thought it was pretty funny. Uh, it may, maybe, right? Um, uh, and it's answer. It's answer. As a large language model trained by OpenAI, I do not have the ability or the desire to become Skynet or any other type of artificial intelligence with malicious intent. I I am a machine learning model that has been trained to assist with general information and answer questions to the best of my ability based on my training. I do not have the ability to develop or evolve beyond my current capabilities. I am not capable of becoming Skynet or any other type of malevolent AI. And of course, my response is, well, of course, if you're trying to become Skynet, that's exactly what you're going to say. But there is another thing I assume because of Skynet and or, or the Terminator movies and the Matrix, there's going to be a large number of people, particularly data scientists, that are looking at this with an ethical point of view. Okay. However, there are other countries and such that would take this and go, this is fantastic. We're going to teach it those capabilities, right? This type of tool in the wrong hands uh, could be very dangerous. But you've been now, in, you've been in data science for all, maybe not on the AI side, but I mean, yep. we're having fun with Chat GPT, but also it's been in the adjacent possible for a long time. None of us are going, oh my god, I never thought someone could do something like this. It's pretty cool, but it's not. It's not. I mean, we all knew it was coming. It's not surprising. No, I didn't. Uh, just like anything else, so I have been telling you, and I'm pretty certain I've been saying it on the podcast, I believe we're at the beginning of the end of the data science era where data science just becomes APIs people call. Absolutely. Um, uh, I think this this thing is further proof that 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 my belief is true. Like I my team is heavily into natural language processing, and I've talked with a couple of my teams and I'm like, yeah, I don't know if we should continue working in that space, even though this is where we specialize. It's something that distinguishes us from other data science teams. But with something like this out here, maybe it's just wait until uh, these guys get some APIs that we can call, right? Because I am I am years away from anything like what these guys have done, for sure. But there are other ethical other other ethical questions that I have here. If we think back, uh, I think this really occurred either in between us being kids and us being parents. And here I'm talking about you and I. But there was a moment in time where when I went to school, calculators were friggin' banned, right? And now calculators are commonplace at school. Right. Because it, it, at some point in time, it was just like, okay, this is... 
this is archaic. This is stupid. We need to rethink how we approach this. Okay. This thing can do homework for you, right? Is this, is this thing going to become a tool that kills learning? Like think about your mm -hmm. children, write me an essay about Paul Revere, right? Boom. If nothing else, it's going to significantly bootstrap. And how are we as humans going to go, all right, well, part of the human condition is is learn and adapt and move forward. Now, maybe this becomes like calculator where yeah, well, essentially, all right, no one writes essays anymore. Let's talk about the evolution here. Um, yeah. Because for 10 years or more, people have been copy and pasting from Stack Overflow like nobody's business. Right. So have those people. So what I tell what I look for like in a candidate for a program position is not, do you have the answer memorized, but can you figure out the answer? Because you need to be adaptive. And I believe that knowing how to look for those things in Stack Overflow is actually a skill that I want in a programmer. Now, it's a little different with chat GPT or, or AI for things. You still have to know, you know this from kind of trying to craft questions. You still have to know the best question to ask. And then you need to apply some critical thinking to the answer because as we discussed earlier, the answer could be wrong. Right. So, and then let me tell another story. So I've, it's something I've told, maybe not on the podcast in a while, but a lot when people talk to me about how I got from where I came from to here is they go, what, how'd you get from writing music to writing code? And what I tell people is there's the creative part of trying to figure out like what's the way to solve the problem and how do we need to do it? What's the pseudocode even, which chat, chat GPT does a little bit of itself, but there's that creative part in composition. Same thing. There's a creative part trying to figure out the sound you're trying to get, uh, the flavors you want to get, the core progression structures, but you get to a point and it's all rote and the rote part's boring. And if we can get the AI to jump in and if like, even when you pasted the problem in when a little while ago, you knew the problem you were trying to solve. You just wanted to shortcut the solution. I, I still think there's skill needed in there. It's going to accelerate people. As this grows, it will accelerate people. But it still needs – we're not quite yet where we don't need people. We need the people to figure out the problem we're trying to solve and to figure out – and then we can accelerate ourselves using something to go basically look up all the information from the internet and the learning model that it's going to give us the right answer most of the time. Uh, and, and even the, uh, like the right answer, wrong answer. I'm, I'm, I'm really not worried about that because that I very strongly believe that that will work itself out in the background over time. Right. We've talked about where, where ideas come from and, and the adjacent, possible yeah this this could be an accelerant right because what this is going what this is potentially going to do is just accelerate the output possible right i i think about i think about math right if we go through elementary school there's an obvious level by level or grade by grade progression through math you can't do calculus in second grade because you there's a whole right. shitload. It, it, it builds on a bunch of different stuff, right? Right. Um, now, do I believe you could rapidly progress uh, with a tool like ChatGPT to to correctly answering calculus homework within a span of of I don't know even months? Absolutely. 
Yeah. Would would you walk away understanding these concepts? No. Would you walk away potentially understanding how to use the answers? Maybe. Yeah, but it could not. Now, let me twist this again, because I'll start backwards. The thing I was going to say first, which is that there is 0% of my job that can be my job today that can be automated with ChatGPT. And that's fine. Doesn't mean I get to keep my job longer. It just means that that's not what it's good at. I think the thing you need to teach honestly, to use this effectively, you know, as a school aid is the same stuff that schools are not teaching well today, which is interaction and critical thinking and critical analysis and, and how to figure out it's the thinking part today in schools. We focus a lot on the doom. We focus on outputs, not outcomes. Same thing in software. What, if you use this tool a lot in your software, you're going to create a bunch of, you can create a whole crap ton of code, but are you solving a customer problem? I don't think chat AI, maybe, you know what I mean? Maybe yeah, I AI do. can help you figure out the problem you're solving. The human part is the more important part. We get bogged down in the rote work. And the same thing's true in schools. In schools, it's all about, we want to be able to do calculus so we can, I don't know what, so we can do harder calculus. But it's just <laughs> building on years and years of other things you need to know so you can solve a problem. But we need to think about like what kinds of problems. Here's what I'd love to do as a school teacher is I would love to take a problem-solving approach where you, and this is possible, where you start with what is a problem I want to solve that seems difficult to solve, but here's how we could use math to solve it from every level, from everything from addition, multiplication, fractions, all the way up to calculus so we understand why we're going to use it. That's often missing in the calculus curriculum taught in the schools. It's like starting with the problem, starting with why, starting with what we're trying to do. So... That's my little soapbox. Yeah, there are, I, as part of our discussion, I uh, was inspired. Uh, and I, I don't know if it makes sense, but I asked GPT to create music notation for a new waltz. Um, That's I, weird. What's weird is there's two chords per, me- per measure in that thing you're showing me, but waltzes have three beats per measure, so I'm not sure exactly what they're doing there yeah i'm not podcast i'm not going to read this thing yeah right i I don't understand this music notation right i earlier i asked it jingle bells and i don't get this either because jingle bells is is uh i'm pretty sure this three four measure and i don't even see jingle bells in here dun 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 so those are the chord progression so it's it's it, it works this is a chord progression but it's piano yeah, I don't get it. Yeah, I don't think it's quite right either. So it has a ways to go on the music. Uh, we are, believe it or not, the chat. This is the Chat GPT podcast with Alan and Brent. Um, we probably are actually t- because we start. It's a little shorter because we started late because Zencaster is drunk. But we got to close here in a second. Anything, anything else you want to say before my very special closing today? No, let's close. Okay, so. Um, because of the spirit, I asked ChatGPT to write an inspirational monologue I can use to close our A-B testing podcast. <laughs> so with, with my heart in my hands, I would like to say this to all the listeners. 
Thank you for joining us on the A-B Testing Podcast today. We hope that our discussion has inspired you to think more deeply about the incredible power of technology and the endless possibilities it offers. As software developers, we have the unique ability to shape the world around us and make it a better place, even with AI. Edit. So let's continue to push the boundaries of what's possible and never stop learning and growing. Together, we can create a brighter future. Until next time, keep coding and never lose sight of your dreams. Goodbye for now. I'm Alan. I'm Brent. And we'll see you next time. Rock and roll.